0: All right, so um, today, for the message, I'm going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and I invite you at this time to turn with me in whatever Bible you may have with you to that passage. Otherwise, you may, of course, read it on the screen. I assume it'll be printed behind me. Um, Listen with your minds and also listen with your hearts. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 God says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You got me on the screen, now how do I get me on the screen? There you go. Sorry, the technology is just a little bit beyond me at all times, it seems. Today we are going to talk about labors of love. It's Labor Day, and as, um, in my mind, Labor Day is always sort of that transition kind of a time where we look back on summer and look forward to the the fall and and church context to the ministry season, and um, at the same time, I want to sort of use this as a transition sermon from the summer series which was about basics back to the basics and the basic i want to talk about today i would say again is grace i remember i had a conversation with bert whitfoot the uh, former editor of christian courier the late bert whitfoot and we were talking about reformation day and and how we handle that on in as the church and he said should we do we still need to preach it's by grace that you've been saved? He says, don't we know that already? And I thought and I said, I think we, we know it, but we need to keep hearing those basics, especially that basic, so that it continues to penetrate our soul and challenge actually the way we function, to move it from our head into the depths of our hearts. And so today we're going to talk about grace and works in the context of Labor Day, and the work that we do, the work of ministry, as well as the work of school and the work of of our jobs. Um, That's what we'll look at together today. Basics can be so familiar that we miss their power. There's a few times in this passage as I unfold it before you today that I'm gonna try and point out to you that what is being said here in this rather familiar passage, especially that refrain, but it's by grace that you've been saved, Um, there's lines in here that that are kind of shocking and that that kind of push us into a place that I don't think we we naturally always live. And so, um, again, the reason to go back to basics is because those basics, we get so used to hearing them. Well, last week's sermon by Pastor Peter, every Sunday I use that exact passage to preach or to give the blessing at the end of the service, and you're going to see how his sermon introduced me, no, influenced me, um, as I give the blessing today. So that's just a Hang on till the end of the service. Look forward to that. We can look at basics and be so used to them that we miss some of their power. So one of the things that strikes me is, as I read Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10, as I did, that it feeds this tendency that I believe we have of starting with our sinfulness, right? And as I think I've said to you before, I will remind you again, The verses and chapters in the Bible were not written by Paul when he was writing this letter. Right? He writes letters just like you and I do. You start with dear so-and-so, you write your letter and you say yours truly. Most of you, I don't believe, write number one, point one, point two, point three. You just write the whole letter. That's how these were written. And so the fact that this begins chapter two was the decision of somebody who thought this will be easier for us to find our place in the Bible. It is very handy for that. So I can tell you, turn to Ephesians 2. But it misses the fact that there's a prelude to chapter 2. And if we just start here, we start with, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And it's my experience often in in the church that we identify ourselves as sinners, right? It's not hard to get people to be very aware of what's broken in their lives and to identify themselves in terms of, I'm still struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. And I want to suggest to you that though you definitely need to be aware of those things, and I don't think that's a challenge for most people, whether we talk about it or not, most of us are deeply aware of what's not going well in our lives. Your identity is actually what comes in chapter 1. The context of sin is always God and his good creation plan. Paul starts his letter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing In Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. And so when we get to chapter two and it says, and it talks about our our brokenness and our depravity and the craving of the flesh and all those parts that are part of our sinful life, that's always understood in the context of, but God has this incredible plan for you. And since He's all powerful, He's going to make it happen in His way, in His time, a bit confusing to us sometimes. It will happen and it will be good. But yes, right now, be aware, you're dealing with the brokenness in your life. You see the difference in that um, dynamic. Repugnant, wrought, resurrected. I do like alliteration, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. It's always fun if you can make three words start with the same letter, in my world anyways. Humor me. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's the brokenness aspect again. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, God who is defined as love and compassion and grace. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, right? And that, again, this is a very basic theological understanding, which I believe bears repeating on a regular basis. Yes, you have brokenness in your life that could destroy how things go for you. But God looks at you and says, I have love and mercy and compassion on you, and I want nothing more than to take you from whatever it is you are struggling with into the place where you're going to find truth and hope and healing. Do not let your sin define you because God doesn't allow your sin to define you. God's definition of you is, yes, you're my good creation. Yes, I recognize you're struggling with something, but I have a plan that comes out of my deep heart and passion for you that will bring you to that next step in that next place and then that last line even when we were dead in our transgressions three weeks ago when i preached on the prodigal son the father the god figure while his son was still a long way off saw him and ran to him and embraced him and brought him in when god sees us even in the worst aspects of what's going on in our lives he wants to run to us and embrace us and draw us to himself That is the God that we serve. Do not let your brokenness and your challenges outweigh the power of God's love in your life and in our world. Then the worthy refrain It's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's by God's passion to give something completely freely. To understand grace, I often think about how I respond to people who have hurt me or people who are other than me in a way that I can't understand. My natural reaction is to push or to put up a wall or to look away or to move away. God's response is grace, is to say, even though I'm the creator of this world and I know exactly what is good and true and right for you, and even though you're doing pretty much the opposite of that right now in this area, I'm gonna reach out to you and embrace you and draw you to myself. The only way I can understand grace is by God's grace, not by my grace, not by my ability to receive other people. And so this refrain is deeply worthy of being one of the mantras, if you will, in your head, one of the things you repeat on a regular basis. It's by grace that I've been saved. It's by grace that I've been saved. It's by a grace greater than I can muster myself that I have been saved. Identity in Christ, IDIC. Forgot my bracelet, sorry Karen. And God, look at this is one of those, this shocked me when I finally read it in such a way that I understood what it said. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So. It is a basic theological truth that, right, Jesus' death and resurrection as we celebrate in Easter, that gives us new life. And the fact that Jesus is in heaven, he is the first physical human being to ascend into heaven, into that full heavenly experience. But this is spoken to us in the past tense. So you have already been in the past raised up with Christ, right? While you were dead, Christ reached out to you and he raised you up. This is not something you're trying to accomplish. This is not something you're waiting for. This is not something you think, well, maybe someday if all goes well, I'll get there, or if I try hard enough, I'll get there. And God raised us, past tense, tense finished, with Christ. So 2,000 and some years ago when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. It was completed. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. And then this, and in this language, it's just one action. He raised us up with Christ from the dead and seated us with him, In the heavenly realms and so again i've been talking about a number of times our identity in christ if you're in christ if you have a relationship with jesus if you believe in jesus you're actually already with him sitting on the throne in heaven that's what the bible teaches heaven isn't that thing we hope to earn and hope to receive after we die it's not a post-death experience it's what god has granted us in the spiritual realities right now and he says you've been raised up with christ because it's by grace. It's by his powers. He's not waiting for you to accomplish something. He's given it to you. He's raised you up and brought you into the heavenly realms. You're sitting on that throne. And this is very important as we talk about Labor Day and our works and our ministry, because knowing that our Lord sits on the throne and that as we are in Christ, we sit on that throne with him, he's given us this incredible privilege. You have the authority, the, the Christ authority, not the personal authority. You have the Jesus authority to make a difference in this world it's by grace that you've been saved and god has raised you up and also put you on that throne with him in christ jesus as we stand in christ jesus we have a pretty beautiful powerful calling in this world and then the refrain again good thing about refrains is you repeat them for it's by grace that you've been saved this book ends that being raised up with Christ and sitting on the throne. It's by grace that you've been saved. And this is through faith. It's through that trusting. And, and even that trusting, because often what it comes down to is we will say you have to have faith, right? As if somehow you need to muster up or produce inside of yourself this ability to believe that these things are true. And often people come to me and go, yeah, I believe a lot of it, but this one, I really struggle with that. And, and in my mind, that's exactly what faith is. It's, it's me going, God, I want to believe in you. I see that there's no better Picture for this world than following you. I believe, but help my unbelief, as the man says in Mark 9. I believe, but I can't make this faith happen by myself. I trust God, but there's a whole lot of stuff that I can't explain. I'm assuming this week I will be conducting a funeral for Jenny Ankelar. And every time we stand at a graveside, I can feel The faith questions sitting around me, even if people don't ask them to me, how can this be? And I always hearken back to the loss of my father many, many years ago, and sitting there and wondering, God, what what is this? This is horrible. This is painful. And just having this sense of Jesus saying to me, yes, but I'm with you. Yes, but I'm with you. And personally for me, that was the start of the depth of my faith journey is God showing me in some strange, powerful, spiritual way I'm with you even in that moment. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't explain, it doesn't fix, but it gives me the ability to keep on going through faith. And this is not from yourselves, right? It's by grace. We don't produce that faith. It's something that God implants in us. It's the gift of God, and that mystery that mystery makes church challenging. We want church to be really clear, right? People who do these things and believe these four things, they're in. And people who don't, they're out. But this whole gift of God thing makes this a whole lot messier for us. And I'm sorry if that's difficult for you, but it's so important to hang on to. If it's by grace and faith is something produced by God as a gift, then the one thing we don't know is who's in and who's out and exactly how this works. We've got some hints we've got some good ideas we've got some great traditions it makes a lot of sense that if you get this you're living into a world where you're gathering like this and also going out and doing these things in this world but that final question of how exactly does faith work that's the mystery god has this incredible ability to use people who we most suspect he's not going to use i've seen that so many times in my life where i think nope you sir or ma'am are in a category which I'm pretty sure is far from God and then they say something which makes me stop and think and pray and reflect on who God is in my life and I'm thinking God you are amazing you have this incredible ability to use the least and the most unlikely just actually as you said you would through Jesus Christ it's a gift of God it's a powerful mystery and it's a beautiful thing So there's the danger of what we do, because it says, not by work so that no one can boast. And again, from three weeks ago, the older son, we recognize that a lot of us have older son tendencies in us, that we've worked really hard for God and his world and in the church, and we've lived a pretty good life, and we're thinking, God, you kind of owe me this, and we sometimes even slip into that kind of language. The church owes me this because I've contributed to it, and God just wants to say, no, you can't actually boast about those things. You can't hang on to those things. If they don't come from a heart overflowing with love, so that even if you give it away and nobody cares, it's still enough because God gave it to you by grace. And that's hard. I think we all struggle with that reality. Because we know there's much we need to do. We know there's work to be done and we hope that people step up. I really hope that for every role that we need filled to make ministry happen in this place, we all step into those places. I hope every one of you joins a small group so that we can do the works that God calls us to do. And that makes it pretty tempting to boast. Look at us, we got all of our people in small groups. Look at us, we got this many people in the worship service, right? To count those numbers and to boast about them, to feel a sense of pride about what we've accomplished is always going to be that temptation. But it's not by works. If we can get to that place where those works feel like a privilege, an opportunity, a gift that we can simply give back, then we're starting to understand the fullness of what grace means. And then verse 10 which is the point I've been working up to all along. The delight of what we do. There's the danger of what we do that we'd boast in it, but there's the delight of what we do because it's not that works don't matter. It's not that we're not supposed to be doing anything. This is the key for we are God's handiwork. We're his works. We're created, worked out in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. It's not by works, but you best be doing good works. That's the funny thing we're trying to hang on to here as we navigate this passage, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's take that apart piece by piece. First of all, we are God's handiwork. You express the artist who made you. You are art. You are a work of God that is creative, right? That's unique, that's beautiful. You express the one who created you. Let me give you a picture to illustrate that. Who knew Picasso actually did pottery? that is indeed Picasso. They're for sale online, by the way, that's just a sideline that I noticed, right? Picasso, if you don't know him, is the painter, artist, who's most known for putting all the body parts all over the place so that you're not really sure how that's actually a human being, but you see all the parts. You can see a Picasso, like I'm not really a great art critic or fan, but I can tell a Picasso in seconds just because it expresses whatever it was he was trying to express, right? Our quilters, I'm guessing when our quilting group gets together and if different ones of them make different pieces, they can probably look at each other's work and go, oh yeah, that's so and so's work because it expresses who they are. Right? You can hear in music which artist is producing the music, if you know them, because their person, their sense, their style comes out in what they do. And so when God created you, He created some of yourself. We call that being image bearers of God. And so you have inside of you this this implanting of God's very creative nature, right? That's meant to be expressed and to come out. That's why when you look at people, and you listen to people, and you work with people, you realize they're all unique, right? So we always, I always anyways, find it easier if I could just categorize people, right? There's liberals and conservatives. There's people over here and people there. There's men, there's women. And then you start listening to individuals and you realize that conservative person has a liberal idea about this topic. That doesn't fit, right? And that liberal person has a very conservative position in this conversation. And men and women categories, actually, some men have some categories that I think, no, that's usually what I would have planted with women. And so we recognize people are much more complicated and far more creatively reflective of the creator who made them and our job is to recognize in each of us to recognize first of all in ourselves god has created us as his workmanship we are his work of art right and that makes us this unique expression of what he wants to do in this world and then your creation and recreation or recreation striking that recreation and recreation are really spelled exactly the same Are the source of your purpose we were created in christ jesus to do good works so jesus was there at creation the word was there from the beginning john 1 tells us this so father son and holy spirit created us jesus is also there to recreate us that's what this whole passage is about when we are resurrected from death into life dead in our transgressions to alive in christ right that's a resurrection experience that's a recreation experience we're being reformed into the people we were intended to be i've walked with people whose life has broken them enough or their brokenness has broken them enough that part of who they really are has not been able to come out and when they are healed in jesus christ when their when their soul gets back in tune with what god's will is for their life They start to blossom. They start to be able to do things that they never thought they were able to do before. We are recreated in Christ Jesus to be the true creation we were meant to be in the first place, all for the purpose of being able to do the good works, the good opportunities that He calls us to do. This is a repurposed table. Those are, can you see that they're from Coca Cola's boxes? Don't drink Coke. Okay, they get enough advertising. I'm not trying to advertise for Coke. It's just the best picture I could find. So recreated, somebody had an extra two by two or whatever that is, made some legs, had some plexiglass. They unfortunately took some shells away from the beach, which apparently you're not supposed to do. right? And they used some old Coke boxes. And they made a table out of this. They took stuff that a lot of people would have thought was junk or something you leave in your closet, and they made something useful and purposeful out of it. God's plan with us is to take whatever we might think is junk in us and say, I have a purpose for that. I'm gonna make beauty out of that. I'm gonna make function out of that. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to serve out of all that I've given you. And so then we enter into God's lessons plan. You're welcome, all you teachers out there who get to start making lesson plans for Tuesday. If you're a student and you enter the classroom, you may not know it, but what's happening is there's a lesson plan made by your teacher which outlines exactly what's gonna happen, hopefully, in that, in that experience right? And you enter into what they've already crafted before you. God has a lesson plan for our lives, right? God has this trajectory for us where he says, I need you to learn these things, and some of it will be through joy and celebration. Some of it will be through tough experiences, but I've got this lesson plan for you. I have prepared in advance something for you to enter into. And that prepared in advance is is helpful, um, particularly if we don't think of it as fatalism, right? Sometimes we take God's Knowledge of what's going on, and we say, Well, God's got this, He's going to work it all out for us. I'm just going to live my life, and it doesn't matter because He's going to make it happen the way He wants to. Yeah, no, not quite. It's more of a dance, it's more of a cooperation. It's more of a, God has a lesson plan, and as every teacher knows, if you don't follow the lesson plan, you don't learn the lesson, right? If you don't engage the way you're meant to, it becomes a different kind of a lesson, the one where you're probably under some sort of discipline. God has prepared in advance all kinds of things that He sees us doing. So, It's probably helpful to think of our lives as, how do I look around me in my life, in my experiences, and wonder, what does God have in store for me? So on Saturday, yesterday, yesterday was Saturday, we went for a prayer walk, a group of us. And as we walk through the town here, one of my questions anyways is always, I wonder what God's saying to me as I walk. So I don't come with pre-planned prayers. I come with, oh, I'm looking at a bank. I'm going to pray about economics. I'm looking at stores. I'm going to talk about those interchanges. I'm looking at housing. I'm going to pray for people. So what is God doing around you that he has prepared for you to see? And you didn't know till you got there because you walk into something. You see what's going on. What is God saying to you? And what is he calling you to in relationships? So for example, we're going to be talking about neighboring. And as I neighbor... I have this plan that I'm going to know all of these people and I'm going to get to know their names. But if somebody is never outside when I'm outside in front of my house, how am I going to get to know their name? God says, no, I will tell you who you're going to see. So I think, oh, I like these people. I'm going to build a relationship with them. But every time I go outside, it's this person who's out and I learn their name and they talk with me and I start a relationship with them. God has prepared in advance, Eric, this is your mission. I'm giving that to you. Listen watch it's been prepared and follow right we don't know ahead of time everything god has prepared for us we enter in to where god has gone before us so what are the good works god has prepared for you and prepared you for i can't apply this to each of your lives for you this is the work we need to do. This is why we highly encourage you to be in small groups because these kinds of questions, when you talk about it out loud with another person, it helps you articulate and sense and understand, I think God's calling me to that relationship. I think God's calling me into this conversation. I think God's calling me to help out with the gleaners. I think God's helping me to join the prayer ministry. Whatever it is that you sense God saying, allow the community to, to hold you accountable, to encourage you, to listen to you, and to prompt you into what God has in store for you. For we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. May we find our joy and our peace in that way. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that we are your creation thank you for the amazing and beautiful and wonderful and fascinating people all around us in this community and in our broader community thank you for the plans that you have in store thank you that you don't see us primarily for what is broken and sinful in our lives but that you see us for what you want us to be and so we pray lord jesus that you would call out of us our true created self, our true purpose, that you'd give us opportunity to discover that and to enter in and to find that place of peace. And Lord, help us to dare when we're not feeling that peace to reach out to another, to you, and to ask you to guide us and to shape us and to lead us into that place. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' holy name, amen.